We are starting a new sermon series uh, today, and it'll be running um, uh, sporadically throughout the summer. There's a couple of other things coming up uh, that'll get in the way, but we'll carry on throughout the summer. We're going to do this sermon series to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, and it may seem like an odd thing to do to to come in at the uh, at the end the way the way we appear to be doing today. But see, that's your perspective. My perspective is I began preaching the Sermon on the Mount eight years ago. And I'm really excited about finally finishing it um, because things do come up and, you know, I'm not going back and, you know, relitigating the past. But but I would like to have, you know, when I started, I would like to have finished in less than eight years. But um, but we're going to be finishing this summer and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is just a, um, an amazing, um, you know, it, it, it deserves its reputation. It's an amazing passage of scripture. And I'm tempted to go back and tell you all the good reasons, but instead we're going to kind of uh, come to the end uh, during the next few weeks um, of what Jesus is teaching here. And so we're starting here very close to the end um, with what is called the golden rule. Jesus says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Um, oh, ah, I forgot to say this. That was one reason. There's another reason why I'm looking forward to this. Um, I've been guided in this because I knew I was planning to do this. I've been rereading this book. This is Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. Um, and I, it, it, it actually goes back more than eight years for me. When I was um, beginning to discern a call to ordained ministry in the church, I went to my pastor and I said, I'm not sure if I could read all that, you know, philosophy and, you know, you know, witchness of what sort of sort of books, the sort of things that you seminary people read. And and um, he gave me this book and said, read this, because if you can get to that, you can get to anything you'll see in seminary. And so I did, and I enjoyed it, but um, I'm reading it again now with uh, three years of seminary and 12 years of professional ministry um, behind me, and I'm understanding it better. So I'm seeing all kinds of things better than I did the first time. So I have now heard of philosophy, and I hadn't at the time. So, um, so I'm understanding a little bit more what he's what he's getting at, and I certainly recommend it. But it's basically a very long reflection on the Sermon on the Mount, and so um, I've been reading the part that refers to the end, which is what I'm interested in particularly. So I'm reading my notes, but I'm also reading what the author has to say, and I really want to share that with you because um, having now experienced it myself, it is kind of an off-putting book. It's it's uh, higher than I thought it was, even when I thought it was a high kind of aiming book. Um, I'm realize, realizing now that um, it takes a lot to get through that book. So I wanted to share some of the key thoughts that Dallas Willard has has put down in it. And so that's the other reason I'm interested in this. So I wanted to, to make sure I pointed out. Um, that's because I'm going to be cribbing from it very generously all through the uh, the series, um, because it is it is worthwhile. And so if later on you do happen to read that book and you say, wait a minute, you know, he stole all this stuff. Yes, I did. So, um, so it's a really, it's a really interesting book. And, um, uh, having said all that, um, why do we need, you know, great vast commentaries on the golden rule, right? The golden rule, it's pretty straightforward. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Jesus says it. Our translation says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. And then Jesus adds to that. He says, this is the essence of the Hebrew scriptures, the, the law and the prophets, what, whatever you were taught, all those, uh, 235 do's and 365 don'ts, um, that what, whatever all those things you were taught, don't worry about them because this is the essence. Just do to others as you would have them do to you. And you don't even have to be religious, right? That just makes sense. Who doesn't want their neighbor to treat them this way? 
right? Now, you may not want to treat your neighbor that way, but we understand, yes, I, I want to be treated this way. I want people to treat me the way I would want to treat them, the, the way that, that they would like to be treated. So we understand the golden rule. We understand it just makes sense. It's not just a religious thing. It's a thing thing. You know, it just makes sense that this is the way people should should orient their lives. Um, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that surface reading. Um, in the original language, there's um, a, a clue in the, in the way the, the sentence is stated that says this is a summation. He's, Jesus is saying, therefore, he's saying, because of everything I've said before, now do unto others as you would have them do. And I actually looked at a number of translations trying to see if that comes through. In most translations, for whatever reason, they don't make it clear that this is a summation of what has come before. So um, I'm just going to ask you to trust me on this. Uh, this is you know that, that book learning I got. So there is, a, there is a grammatical structure here that says this is a, a summation. So what does this have to do with what came before? Well, we can go back and look and we see effective prayer. Keep on asking you parents, um, you know, would you give you a stone? Um, if, if you give, if you're sinful people and you give good gifts, um, how much more would your heavenly father give? It's like, what does that have to do with the golden rule, right? We're talking about prayer there. We are talking about prayer, aren't we? So, so how far back am I supposed to go before I understand what the golden rule is a summation of? Well, luckily we're not the first people to hear the goal, uh, the, the golden rule or the, the, um, uh, Sermon in the Mount. People have done this for us. About 800 years ago, people put chapter marks in the Bible. And one of the places they put a chapter mark, sometimes they got it in a place that was kind of an odd place. But in this case, chapter 7, verse 1, is the beginning of this section that Jesus is talking about. So we heard a little bit of it earlier as our opening acclamation. And we're going to look at the, the longer passage to understand the passage we just heard. So Jesus says, do not judge others. Okay. That sounds kind of like the golden rule, right? Don't judge because, why? Because you will not be judged. Don't do the things that you don't want to suffer, right? That, I get that. There's kind of a, a, a relationship there that makes sense to me how that ties in with the golden rule. And he says, you will be treated as you treat others, okay? Still sounding very golden rule-y to me, right? The standard which you use judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Okay, all right, I get this. Okay, now I see how this is the beginning and the golden rule is the summation. Okay, I get that. And then he says, all right, I understand that. I just practically, if I start judging people, then, you know, what goes around comes around. Eventually people will judge me. They'll notice that, you know, I live in a glass house and I shouldn't have thrown those stones. So, so we get that. But Jesus gives an additional reason. Jesus says this, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll um, see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So Jesus says there's an additional reason. It's not just the golden rule, but it includes the golden rule. The, the reason is because you can't see, right? You're not in a position to perform surgery because you've got, um, you've got a log in your own eye, right? There's, there's a, a symmetry saying, you know, by the way, if you make a habit of judging other people for things in their eyes, you're not in a position to throw stones. That's there. But more than that, he says you can't see. You can't perform surgery because you've got a log in your eye. And what he's getting at is this. Take, take somebody who's disagreeable. And I don't mean evil or, or, or wicked. I mean, you know, 
there's plenty of those, but just take somebody who's disagreeable, right? Your boss, okay? Your boss tells you, um, you know, we had this, this timetable, you know, you had to deliver this thing on this time, and now I'm moving that up, I really need it sooner, right? And you say, what do you say? You say, that jerk. Okay, or something to that tune, right? Right. The the nature of the nature of being people living in in the world as we do is we tend to we tend to do something that that uh, a psychologists call the fundamental attribute error. Let me see if I can get this. the fundamental attribute error, and what that means is we see somebody and we assume that the reason they did that thing we don't like is because they are that way. That that is the fundamental attribute of that person. Okay, They were a jerk in this one case because they are a jerk. They behaved badly in this circumstance that I'm thinking of because that is the fundamental attribute of their existence. That they are, by nature, intrinsically, all the way down to the bone, jerks. And that is a fundamental attribute error. You should not make that error, right? And Jesus is saying, saying, don't do that. But he's saying, he's saying, we don't have enough information. We don't understand who they really are. He's saying why it's an error. The reason it's an error is because you don't know your boss. You don't know, you know, you see, you know, the facade, you see what's in front of you, right? You see your boss when they say, I need that report by, by Monday or something like that. And you're thinking, oh, I'm losing the weekend. Right. And and you see that, but you don't know what's behind it. You have occluded vision. You're you're you have a log in your eye. It keeps you from seeing your boss with any real clarity. You don't understand the conversation he just had with his boss. You don't understand the the things that shaped him as a child. You don't understand your boss. You can't see. So you shouldn't make the assumption that that is who your boss really is. The fact that they did something that's disagreeable doesn't make them a bad person. If you tell your children, I want you to do this chore, and you come back an hour later and the chore isn't done, you shouldn't assume your children are bad children. You should just say, the chore didn't get done. There's a difference between judging the child and assuming that circumstances came up that prevented the thing from getting done. So... Jesus says, don't judge. And he says, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So this makes sense. We, we can understand how that would, that would be a good thing. Jesus, is, Jesus is, is calling us to come up with alternate explanations. Uh, those of you who've been to a wedding, you've heard probably the, the famous wedding text. Um, Paul says how love uh, believes all things. Uh, love hopes all things. Love trusts all things, right? He says, he says, love makes excuses for bad behavior, right? When you get into an argument with your, your spouse, you know, as newlyweds, right? You may say, oh, okay, the reason you're doing this is because you're a bad person. But if you're in love, what you do is you say, no, there's a reason, you know, you know, my darling would never be so cruel as to do this thing. So love makes excuses. That's what Paul's getting at. We understand that. Love makes excuses. And Jesus is calling us to make excuses. Your boss does something that's disagreeable. Instead of going straight to the fundamental attribute error, instead of, instead of saying, it's because my boss is intrinsically and necessarily a jerk, we say, no, my boss has an excuse. 
I don't know what it is, but there's an excuse that if I could see it clearly, that would explain why he's being disagreeable right now. So that's the, the front half of this. But that still leaves us with a disagreeable boss, right? I mean, we may now have come up with an excuse to explain his behavior, right? In some cases, we had to be very creative. Love had to try all kinds of things on before we came up with a plausible reason why he could be so disagreeable in this area. But what do we do? We've still got the disagreeable boss. Well, Jesus says what we do. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. Jesus, Jesus, look, that may be true of God, but you don't work at my company. You don't have my kids. Okay, that's not the way the world works. People don't do what you ask. And certainly they don't if they're children. Right? They just don't. Jesus says, no, really, give it a try. And, and he says, he says, you know, think about it. Those of you who are parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? You know, we don't, right? I mean, there, there may be some monster out there who would actually do it, but they only prove the point that Jesus is making. People don't act that way. He says, children have no ability to influence you except by asking, right? Give me some bread. And so you do. Have you ever watched, have you ever watched this scenario unfold? Uh, a parent has a child, you know, they're kind of holding him, you know, kind of like this, you know, on the hip kind of thing. And um, the kid starts wiggling. He wants down. So they set him down. Three seconds later, up. Okay. And then you watch, right? Lather, rinse, repeat, right? Over and over again, where the kid doesn't know what it wants. But simply by asking, the child gets what he's asking for. Jesus is saying, you know, asking is not as hard as we think it is. And it gets better results than, than we think it does. Um, Dallas Willard in, in the book, he says, he says, have you ever tried to enjoy a sandwich in front of the family dog? <laughs> says, the dog can't make you do anything, right? But the dog just sits there, the little two spots on the eyebrows, you know, the way they have, right? And he just looks at you and says, you know, you're the alpha dog. And, you know, you're the leader of the pack, but it's traditional for, you know, the, the, the leader of the pack to leave some scraps for the, the, the lesser dogs in the pack. Just FYI. And maybe, maybe the dog puts his paw up on your knee, right? And it's amazing how hard it is to look with steely resolve at the dog and say, no, this is my sandwich. You don't get any, right? It's just incredibly hard to resist a question asked in good faith, right? I'm not going to judge you. We've ruled that out. I'm not going to judge you. I'm just going, you know, if you say no, I'm going to make an excuse for why you're being disagreeable to me today, right? All I'm going to do is ask you. And if you say no, up front, I've already decided I will make an excuse that protects you from my judgment. So Jesus says, be the same way. So what if you get the no? What if you still get the no? What if what if the person says, No, I'm not going to do that? You really need you really wanted to do something this weekend, but the boss says it's due on Monday. So what do you do? Well, this is where the theology comes in. Up till now it's just been kind of practical, right? It's just, you know, not a Christian thing. 
But Jesus says, and this is, this is why we're coming in at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus says, this is the way that God's kingdom really works. I talked to the children about the glimpses we get from time to time of God's kingdom. Jesus says that God's kingdom is available to us. And it's as close as the air. But he says, we have to live into it. We have to live in a way that, 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 um, demonstrates our belief that it's there. It's, it's a decision. We have to decide, am I going to live into this or not? Am I going to act like the kingdom of God is a reality or not? And that may sound like, okay, well, it's only there if you're a good Christian. But remember, these are the values of the kingdom. God has ruled out judging. Right? He said, if there's a punishment, if there's a penalty that applies for people who don't do what I tell them, I've taken judgment off the table, just like I told you to do. I took any judgment that was merited, and I poured it out on Christ. And you don't have to ever worry about any judgment, ever. So I'm not going to judge you, but I am going to ask you to live into this kingdom. I'm going to, to go first and show the way what the kingdom of God is all about. And then I'm going to ask you to live the same way. To live in a world of not judging, but asking. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that you never see anyone directly. That as a Christian, everyone you see is mediated by Christ. So let's suppose you have a problem with your boss. Let's suppose you have a problem with your child. You really want them to clean their room, or you really want to not have to have the paper due on Monday. What do you do? Dietrich Bonhoeffer invites us to remember that we have no direct contact to anybody we think we do. That everybody we see, every interaction we have as a Christian is mediated with God. That essentially every question we have, we come not just to Susan or not just to Jim and say, Jim, I'd like you to do this. Not just to your child, but to think of them as Jesus. I want Jim to do this thing for me. Jesus, I want Lonnie to do this thing for me. That if we see people as having Christ in front of them, then we turn over the problem to Jesus. Right? I'm going to say to my boss, what is the priority? Is this really have, does this really have to be on a Monday? Because I'll work. But is this really, help me set my priorities. Is this the most important thing I need to do? Um, and are you ready to do comp time or whatever? You know, how, where does this fit in the scheme of things? Help me understand that. You ask. But he says, he says, we don't have direct access to that person. It is mediated through Christ. So if you've got a question, you treat it, you treat that person the way you would treat Jesus and that person. Go into your boss's office and sitting in the chair next to him is Jesus. How does that frame the conversation? And how does it treat, how does it change the way you see the results? That Jesus did not intervene to, to keep your boss from being a jerk. The invitation is for us to see God's kingdom all around us. We, we still will have disagreeable people, but Picture, picture a situation where 
Jesus is asking us to do what he's already done for us. He's already taken judgment off the table, and he's inviting us. He's asking us to do something. What is he asking us to do? To live like he does. To see the kingdom as our ultimate reality. And then to interact with other people in that light. When I see my child, I don't scold him and say, clean that room. I say, Jesus is in this room. Jesus is watching me and them. And Jesus can influence them. Jesus can influence them and help them to see what I want. Doesn't mean he will. Jesus ha- Jesus sees the whole picture. I don't. I've got a log in my eye. But I'm going to go into the situation realizing both me and they have a celestial ally. How does that change the tenor of our conversations? If we see Jesus as a partner to all of our interactions with disagreeable people, how does that change the way you relate to your loved ones, to strangers? If you see them as mediated through Jesus, they've got their agent standing next to them, Jesus. How does it change the questions we ask? And how does it change the answers they deliver back to us? Jesus says, to do unto others as you would be done to. The invitation that he presents to us is that we may not always get the result we want, but that by doing so, we will be living out his kingdom values. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the the kingdom um, that Jesus has uh, revealed to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to see glimpses of it. Help us to realize it goes deeper and is much bigger than we appreciate. Help us to realize when we encounter disagreeable people that you love them as much as you love us and that you are their ally, but you are also our ally. Help us to see every conversation we have as mediated by you. Help us to accept the answers we get but help us to realize the power of asking. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.